Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man whose wife's hall pass, actor Kurt Russell, was 20 feet from her bedroom, but she couldn't stop throwing up. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Me! Show welcome, show number 20,000. This is, we've done 20,000 of these shows. Um, f- before I tell that story about Kurt Russell, and my guest, I believe, was at our house when this happened. He may not remember it, but I believe he was there. So um, I just want to thank Jeremiah. I always forget to thank Jeremiah, our producer, and Dr. D. Richard Dugan, the engineer. So I want to make sure I do that at the top of the show. So anyway, uh, everybody knows what a hall pass is. A hall pass is like you have permission from your spouse to go have sex, sleep with, Somebody who you want to hall pass with. Like that's, oh, that's, what that that's the definition of a hall pass. My wife's was Kurt Russell. Like if Kurt Russell ever approached, absolutely, Jano, my wife, go. You got Kurt Russell for an hour. Go. My hall pass, of course, was uh, Fred Rerun Barry from What's Happening. <laughs> I never met him, sadly. Um <laughs> But anyway, I don't, and my guest, you know, we live in Santa Barbara, but we don't, we're not big Hollywood people. So rarely do like Hollywood people, you know, enter our lives. I think we share that in common, but they do occasionally. So one night there was, we were having some people over for dinner and happened to be friendly with Bob Zemeckis, the big director and his wife, Mary Ellen, and the door flies open and they come in. And they bring in Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell into our house. And I believe, I'm giving away my guess, Dennis was and his wife were at our house for dinner. But here's what happened. My wife, about 20 minutes before dinner, had eaten some bad chicken salad from a certain store in Montecito and starts, and she gets food poisoning. She's throwing up violently in the back bedroom. Meanwhile, Kurt Russell is in the hall pass is 20 feet from her. And I keep going in to check on her like, are you okay, you okay? And she's asking me questions like, what's he wearing? And then throws up. <laughs> That's a, that is a true story. Her hall pass uh, got within 20 feet of her and she's had food poisoning. Um, so uh, let's introduce uh, our first, our guest, our only guest today, okay? We have a clip for that. Well, Lorne, it's been a great six years, but it's time for me to move on. So this is really your last show? That's right. You're really leaving us, Dennis? Yes, this is it. Are you sure? Yes, sir. You're not going to come back every week and hang out on the set like Lovitz, are you? (laughs) No, no, I'm really going, Lorne. Because that would be really pathetic. No. I mean, the man has no life. This is definitely my last show. I mean, thank God every now and then he gets a movie. Yeah, well, I'm serious. This is it for me. Well, okay. Is there anything special you'd like to do for your last show? Really? Anything, Dennis. You name it. Well, you know, I've always wanted to say live from New York. It's Saturday night. Well, there's the camera. Be my guest. Live from New York. It's Saturday night. That was great. Uh, well... (laughs) We're gonna miss you, Dennis. Yeah, I'll miss you too, Lauren. Okay, let's introduce our guest. He's a very, very successful comedian. You know him from Saturday Night Live, The Dennis Miller Show, Dennis Miller Live, Monday Night Football. This weekend, he won the British Open. That was pretty cool (laughs) to see. (laughs) It's Dennis Miller! Yay! How are you, my friend? You know what? Uh, that's so funny that uh, I don't. I'm trying to think. I don't remember when the anniversary show was. I don't think I have been back from that. Yes, and also that was the last time. I think that was. Um, I think I was there when the anniversary happened. And in other words, still. Oh, on you the, were still on the show when the anniversary happened. When the 25th happened, right? I haven't been back, so I, I don't think I have been back there since that night. Wow. So that that's kind of funny. And uh I remember that night with Jano and I remember the irony that she uh retched 
so violently <laughs> she she popped her right eye out and came on an eye patch and Pliskin was absolutely blown away that she was uh, was paying homage to to snake's character with the eye patch <laughs> believe and it or not it's good to see you, it's good to see you. But it's, and, it's, and i i think if you if you were to like tell my wife like what character do you want him in she might go with snake plitkin like she might say like yeah escape from new york give me give me that kurt russell as opposed uh, to that, uh, that or captain ron where yeah. he's running around banana hammock uh I, I told you that story tim and i golf so we we uh, always laugh on the course but there's that great story about christopher guest where where his christmas party at marty's house one night marty short and marty has just shot captain ron with that uh, kurt and Chris says, what's the new film about, Marty? <laughs> Chris is so dry, he makes, uh, you know, he makes no coward look like the toilet paper tear guy at moment shots. He's so dry. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> he says uh, tell me what the new film's about, Marty. And Marty says, uh, well, I play a guy who has a boat. And Chris says, I didn't say ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, good to talk to you, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much for being here. So I, I'm always interested. I just love because my insane journey to get to here where I am right now. But I always ask people like, you know, do you remember? So here's a way of saying it. Like. That first moment when you were funny, do you remember that? Like thinking like, you don't want to be a comedian. That would come later. But like, do you remember the first time you were funny? Like people laughed at what you said or did. You know, I remember it more in a behavior mod way. I was a small kid in high school and I was pretty far outside the uh, central circle of, uh, you know, society there no it wasn't i didn't get bullied too much but wasn't an insider i sat in a study hall next to the star player on the football team i i know his name i'm not trying to be nebulous I, right i don't like to mention people's names unless you talk to them and they're okay with that it's right. such practice, weird times but uh he was cool and we had a teacher or a super you don't teach a study hall but she was an english teacher who oversaw our study hall and she was very uh young and you could tell that she hadn't learned yet to be at ease with the kids it was a little it was a little great santini and uh <laughs> she uh, i used to say things under my breath to him at the back of the room or she'd say something that was very strident and i'd say blah, 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 blah. you know i'd brave it off with something yeah. and he would laugh and all of a sudden, the best football player, who I would have been like a gnat to yeah. him, uh, would we'd walk through the hallway after uh, to our next class, and everybody would see you. So it was more of a behavior mod decision for me, where I thought, "Oh, I see. There's my Wonka ticket to get in. Yes, I'm never going to be a good athlete. I, uh, I I'm reasonably shy, but if you are a uh, sort of a <laughs> whimsical Sancho Panza you can ride next to the guy who's actually tilting at the windmill so I did that yeah that that makes perfect sense I just I mean for me it was first grade Mrs. McEntee's play I was in the play as as the father and I went off script like I started I went off script and people laughed and that's I remember it it was just like oh Oh, people like me when I do stupid right. things, and uh, that's better than, you know, when I was getting it home, so it's just like, oh, so I'll just do more of this. Um, do, but, do I remember that? Did your old man say something apres that was, uh, I, I can't remember, I thought maybe your dad says, stick to the script or something, maybe I'm just mad. <laughs> it is, uh, listen, you find a way, right? Yeah. The water finds a way, it bears on a surface. You're an outsider and your kid, you probably played the father in first grade because you're already a little bit of a stretch, right? Were you tall? I'm trying to think. I now don't you're know. So tall. I don't, I, she just put me in as the father and then I guess the lines weren't good enough. I don't know what I said. Something like, what's for dinner or something? And I kind of went like, what's yeah. for dinner, Mona me or something? I don't know what I said. You remember how powerful that is. Jesus, <laughs> when I first started getting laughs professionally, it, it was... Uh, Thank God it's a reasonably healthy endeavor. And if you follow it 
to the nth degree and never get it, I think it can be a little self-flagellative. But the simple fact is it's enough at the beginning. Money doesn't enter it. Fame doesn't right. enter it. The act of being in a closed place with what was it, 50 people to start to 200 people saying a thought that you've had and having laughter come back, which you realize is involuntary approval. They don't have to nod their head or they don't, you know, it's just like you've said something and there's a bing bang to it that evokes a happy sound out of them. It's an aphrodisiac, isn't it? It, it really so is. It really, really is. And then, and, and whatever, you know, I mean, I found the groundlings and it's the same thing. You come up with some character bit and they laugh, and it's just like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, so going back, uh, because, again, we've, we've talked a little bit about this but uh, on the golf course, but, uh, like, who were some of, when you were a kid watching TV, Wikipedia said Jonathan Winters was like your, yeah, yeah. And, and I sort of was surprised by that. But, but you well, remember watching him. Well, he had a TV show, Tim, that I think you're, I'm 69. You're close, but you know these shows only last two or three years, so it might not be in your in your uh, wheelhouse. No, but it's, for it's me in it there. was. And he would end the show during the final credits with an improv. They'd throw him an item, and I'm sure this. God, can you imagine now that you know show business so little? I'm sure this was all reproduced in there to some degree, or maybe not. Jonathan was enough of a purist that maybe said, "I don't want to know what you're going to throw me." Yeah, and. uh he, uh, they threw him a big inner tube for a tire. Yeah. Uh, just a black inner tube from a tire, and it was barely inflated. And he folded it in half and uh, did Jonah in, in the whale's mouth. If he folded it, it looks like a big set. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he stuck his head and said, Get me out of here. Get me out of here. <laughs> Get me out of here. It's my name's Jonah. And I, uh, sitting at home in my feedy PJs, just thought that was so crazy, uproarious yes. and unbridled, which isn't my type of comedy. But I remember thinking, God, it must be feel good to be that free. Right. So I followed Jonathan a little, and then I went to see it's mad, 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 mad world. Right. And I was entranced when he uh, destroyed the gas station, which was built out of like light balsa wood. It was so funny when you look back at it now. Right. You can see Stanley Kramer said, "We don't want Jonathan getting hurt. No shards or anything. Let's make this thing out of." the lightest possible when he just manically destroys it it reminds me of that great scene in citizen kane where she leaves uh, charles foster kane and he goes batshit in her uh bedroom and just you know completely like godzilla hitting tokyo blah blah yeah and uh, so it's fascinated by jonathan now later in life you know we lived up here i'm down in the uh pharmacy haven't there's a place here we all eat folks called the pharmacy I don't want to make this too inside, but that, that's our local uh, diner. And uh, I hear that voice behind me, Tim. I, I go, oh, my God, are you a dentist? Well, I turn around, it's Jonathan. And I thought, oh, that's right. He lives up here. This is way back then. And yeah. we started having breakfast together. And uh, he was such a yeah, elfin uh, genius, you oh. know what I mean? Uh, that I would just sit there in delight. I'd go in in the morning and I'd say, uh, how are you today? Yes. And then 45 minutes later, I'm having, uh, you know, breakfast with a Manchurian grandmother. And, you know, it's so crazy how funny he was. I've told the story on this show where I ran into him on the sidewalk one day and said, you know, thanks so much. And he went on for an hour and there was crazy things that were said. There were also wildly funny and really smart observations. And he said to me do one thing like if i had to do it all over again i'd do one thing and i thought the guy who did a thousand things is telling me to do one thing anyway that was sort of the precursor right. to me selling nightstand because i figured out what i do best which is play an idiot fill in the blank and that came from him mm-hmm. and he was just it really was crazy how smart he was um here's another it's question funny that he uh good he sort of begat robin for me because uh Robin bored him. They were yes. really like so. Uh, they loved each other dearly. And later on, and although this was never my type of comedy, my type of comedy turned out to be more Belzerian and observational. Belzer was a very big catalyst for me when I got older. But uh, how about Mort Robin, Saul? Did you um, like Mort Saul when you were a kid? I read his book a couple times, but 
the thing about Mort was he he dropped he dropped more names than an expected parent. You know what I mean? And he <laughs> he liked he liked being with the in crowd, be it Kennedy or I, that that never interested me. That uh, yeah, sort of I could see that uh, being the aide de camp or the the court jester stuff like that. Right. So I, I enjoyed Mort. I think it's a very perceptive book. Uh, really, it's called Heartland, and it's quite quite brilliant but he he saw everybody's uh sort of foibles except he had a big one that he didn't say i often find that with social critics that kind of missed the point on that but when i saw robin do that hbo special that first one at the troubadour wherever it was on the rocks up on yeah. sunset i yes. think it might be on the rocks uh, and he left the stage went up into the balcony and he uh uh, you know, it was just so liberating. I thought, God, I've got to pursue that. And I, I don't have that skill. Right. I, I don't want to be up there going, oh, don't be afraid, and, you know, and pouncing on anything. But it did make me think, I've got to try that stage thing. And you mix it in with another, where I saw a comedian doing a joke, I sold to him on The Tonight Show, and that was a pragmatic decision. I thought I have to become the conduit for that. But I would say the big influences on me in my career were uh, Jonathan Early, that begat Robin. Jay, when I first met Jay, gave me a working class hero approach to it, which I admired immensely. And Belzer's almost disdain for the crowd, not disdain, but he was the furthest thing from an ass kisser, liberated me from being a bit sucky on stage and wanting approval to thinking, boy, what they really find intoxicating is when you're good and you're not even, you know, begging for right. approbation. So those four things matter. Yeah. Well, you found your own thing. Uh, that's a good time to take our first break, which we will do. I'm talking to Dennis Miller, who proudly says he's got nothing to promote. <laughs> good for you. Retired. Yeah. You don't um, retire. Uh, I'm going to promote Sprung on uh, Amazon Freebie, the show I worked on. And uh, we're going to take our break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Shame on you, dick. Hey, Cindy, any TV projects coming down the pike? <laughs> well, I guess not. <laughs> well, we've had a pretty action-packed show so far. Not much left to do but check in with Layla. Layla, how you doing down there? I'm getting ready to make my move, Dick. Yeah, I think we just heard that a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> there's Dennis. Gotta run. Oh, there's Dennis Miller right there. Thank you. Okay. Good there he is. All right. Okay. Whoa! Are you okay? Oh, you, oh, you're Dennis Miller. And, and you're Joey Heatherton. Uh, I'm Layla Downs. Hi. Nice to meet you. Oh! Okay, we are back with It's Radio TV's Tim Stack, and we're talking to Dennis Miller. Dennis, do you remember doing that? It was a clip from Nightstand, and I, I just want to... It was sort of out of context, but I wanted to play it because uh, I really wanted to, and I've told you this, but I'll compliment you on the air, which is when I started doing the show Nightstand, there were two people who came to me. Now, there were plenty of people I asked, hey, could you do a spot on the show? And they came in. But there were two people who offered, said, hey, if you need me to come in, I'm there. One was Harry Anderson. And one was Dennis Miller, who came in and did a spot because getting, you know, when you do shows in syndication, getting ratings and getting anything to promote to get a viewer, as Dennis can testify, having been in that syndication world, it's really uh, crucial because you're trying to stay on the air and make some money and have fun. So anyway, thank you again for doing the nightstand for volunteering. Well, listen, we knew each other then. You are uh, an everyman who I thought was insanely funny. Oh. You know, I mean, I like regular people, Tim, and that's why I'm up here to a large degree. I think you do, too. I don't want to paint myself like I'm living out beyond the pillars of Hercules, but uh, I always thought you were a hell fellow well met, 
I love the way you were with the kids. I think we would, remember we coached the team for a while. I always oh thought this is as insanely funny as a regular guy gets, and that's uh, that's a great uh, mashup for me. Yeah. Yes, we had we had fun. The kids. Oh my God! The comments going back and forth between us <laughs> as our team is either winning or losing. I think they won some games. But it was really fun watching the boys grow up together, and uh, yeah, yeah, really fun. So I do want to, I want to get to Saturday Night Live, but I also wanted because I did have another uh, trivia, not a trivia question, but back from the old days. Was there what? Can you remember your first comedy album that you bought? Hmm. Yeah, it was Woody, where he told the story about the the deer hunter. Remember that? Oh uh, yes, I shot yes, a deer. Yes, I, I was intoxicated by the uh, uh, the. Uh, it reminded me of that opening shot in Touch of Evil, where it's all <laughs> it goes on for four minutes. It just meanders and go, and then at the end the car blows up in the Orson Welles film. And uh, I always liked that long meander. And Woody just, I love that he said that that ten pole say, uh, thing. Uh, I shot. A deer, and then it goes <laughs> off on a, uh, a four-minute story. So I was fascinated by that. I bought that album first. I also bought Steve's album. Uh, really, great Steve Martin, yeah. who obviously lives up here for part of the year. We see him, uh, but uh, <laughs> he was—he was like my. Uh, I'm talking about the other four people being, uh, but I knew them a little bit, so they impacted me on that level. Steve was a god to me, but yes. And my favorite stand-up comedian, he used to make me laugh just so uproariously. Yeah. And I never yeah. thought I'd get to meet him. So uh, the uh, I bought his album where it's the close-up of him with the balloon animal on his head. <laughs> and the uh, crazy schnoz and glasses. And uh, he that was important to me, too. Uh, only in the regard, like I said, I didn't learn much from that because our comedic styles are so different, but I just, I've never laughed as hard as that. He, when he would do that stuff where, and I, in the interim, he's explained the high-low theory to me. He likes highbrow comedy, you know, Nichols and May, or he yeah. likes lowbrow comedy. His favorite funny film to him is the Oscar with Stephen Boyd, which I, I share I love for that film, but he likes the, uh, the high-low. So when he would do that attitude where he'd say, just got back from here, so, uh, London, some <laughs> friends, some of girlfriends. <laughs> that used to wipe me out that he was so smart. Yeah. And yet he would uh, kneel down to scoop from the, low level. <laughs> the, common, the common stream of humor made me laugh. That's funny. My first album, George Carlin, was my second album that I bought, the AM and FM album, which I just oh, loved. Yeah. But my first album that I bought, I had never bought a comedy album, but I saw Flip Wilson on the Ed Sullivan show, and he just killed me. It was Chris, it was Christopher Columbus. It was black Christopher Columbus. <laughs> and I, coming from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, we had three black families who were just like everybody else. Like, and so to see that on the Tonight Show. It was just my brother and I yeah. just hit the floor laughing, and I ran up to Perlman's record store the next day and bought the Flip Wilson Cowboys and Indians album. And on right. there is that Christopher Columbus uh, routine. Um, you so, know, Tim, you just reminded me of another yeah. one I, after, uh, that I hadn't thought of in so many years, but I think Cause had an album called Why Is There Air? Oh, yes. That I had, which made me laugh. And when you get off vinyl and get into video, the first thing I saw, like uh, along with Robin's special, where you just wipe that, is when uh, prior that first special, where he's got the orangish shirt on and he gets out of the limo. I think it's down in Long Beach, and he's such uh, he's so center of it, the coolest cats. So, yeah, those uh, priors, uh, his. Uh, rhythms and that just absolutely intoxicating. I would sit there and go, "Oh my God, does this guy know how to play a joke?" So, um, so I tell I, I know you've told this probably a thousand times, but I just I love what it led to was this this dinner with Lauren Michaels. But how did you get to Saturday Night Live? How did that happen? I think they had. A, I was in L.A. Uh, Leno saw me in Pittsburgh. 
I opened for him and we got on well. Sorry to lean in like that, but I was starting right. to slouch. Uh, and uh, he said, you want to get out to L.A.? And like I said, I saw a comedian in the interim I had sold a couple jokes to in Pittsburgh. He did them on The Tonight Show. And Carson was laughing really hard at one of the jokes. And I was sitting in an earthen floor apartment somewhere with a, you know, carbon monoxide threatening heating system <laughs> for 60 bucks a month. I thought, man, I, I am not built to shovel these jokes out the door for 25 bucks a pop and watch them score with Carson. So I said, I've got to become the unlikely conduit for these, although I was very shy and immensely frightened. But I thought I've got to force through that. There are worse things. It's not like you're in a jungle in Vietnam. So shut up. So uh, I started doing I opened for Leno. It was the MC. We got on well because he's a working class hero. You know, I admired that about Jay. An insanely funny one. I don't want to paint it like it's Louis Guthrie, but uh, he was, uh, you know, he had that. It was more normal. So I felt. I could approach that. Uh, and he said, you got to get out there. So he got me an apartment or found me an apartment from a friend who was moving. And I remember uh, it was right next. It was at the corner of Fairfax and uh, Wilshire. Yeah. And eventually that famous rapper got shot there right on that corner. Uh, yeah, there was a. Bullets. I don't know the rappers at all, but Tupac Shakur, and he had an adversary, a guy who was big. Biggie Smalls. Yeah, I think he got shot. Anyway, Jay gets me an apartment, and the guy next to me is the cat from Elf. Uh, you know, who's, who's not Elf, but the guy. Yeah, the father. Yeah. He's pretty troubled, let's just say that. And I thought, oh my God, I don't even know if I'm going to exist out here. In Los Angeles, it was so uh, different. But uh, the, that that got me to uh, LA. I'm sorry, I was off on a riff. there. what was the point? Of Basically, departure? Saturday Night Live. How did that happen? And I and I really oh, want you so to they tell had the, an audition the story the of, with the dinner afterwards. Yeah, I went to the Comedy Store, and Frank and, and Davis were taking over the show that year. And they auditioned people, and I did a pretty good audition, I remember. I didn't flinch. You know, I remember, even at that stage, I remember thinking, listen, go for this. What do you, Christ, you're nervous enough about anything. Go for this. Right. I did a nice audition. They, they bring you to round two, which is in New York. I fly in. I remember they had these old planes. Uh, I don't even know if they're around anymore, called an L-1011. You might as well have been in a Cinemax theater or something. You know, <laughs> got two seats on the outside, two seats on the outside, five in the middle. Yeah, I do. Remember. I'm in the middle seat next to this crazy bastard, Lovitz, who I don't know at that point. And uh, we're flying in. Victoria was there, Damon. But I remember sitting next to Lovitz, flying into the unknown, literally, because uh, you can't believe you've been asked to at least go to the second stage. Right. So, um I asked Lovitz what he does. I said, I'm just a comedian and I do jokes. And Lovitz says, oh, I do characters. I go, well, what, what are you most proud of? And he's like, I've got a guy who lies a lot. <laughs> and I remember, uh, I think, what do you mean, John? And he said, well, he can't tell the truth about anything. And uh, he did a little of it, uh, you know, on a plane out of context without any of the trappings of Tommy Kalenhagen, the president of pathological liars anonymous it's sort of like your thing i i just remember sitting there seinfeld and i laughed about it later in life uh he said you you know what when you see somebody limping on the serengeti plane you know you can feed on them and that's what i remember thinking about lovitz <laughs> I remember thinking, well i might not be getting this show but i'm gonna beat this guy up because that's the craziest audition i've ever heard so um <laughs> this is when I knew John was a, a genius. Is later when we were on Saturday Night Live, but I'll, I'll loop rack around to the audition. But uh, it was the first show, and he was going to do Tommy Lenegan at Weekend Update, and in the dress rehearsal. Uh, and up to this point, you're so busy, and he was he was nice, John, and I hit it off. Got to talk to John a couple of days ago. You talked to me. Yeah. Yeah, I love John with all my heart, but uh, at that point, you don't know each other that well. I introduced him at dress rehearsal, the president of Pathological Liars Anonymous, Tommy Flanagan. <laughs> and he goes out and uh, he does pretty well with it. But he comes up to me after dress and he says, um, Dennis, it's Tommy Flanagan. And he said, don't you see? He's so pathological. He can't even say a common Irish name like Flanagan <laughs> without the embellishment. That's funny. And that's when I, Tim, that's when I stood back. I said, 
oh, I get it. He is a genius. Yeah. I mean, John's a genius in a way. That nuance is so gave me goose flesh just as he's, he says it out. He, he could not even tell the truth about the most common of Irish names. I thought, wow, what an insight. <laughs> That's so funny. anyway. We got to take another break. Hold on. Oh, we're we're oh, going to pick sorry. this story up on the B side. I will add, I'm, I'm bragging here. That I was not the one who told John that that can, that can be a character. He did it on a panel at the Groundlings, that there's a whole world with that. But I will take credit for telling John, that's the ticket is your catchphrase. Like, oh, like Because I was just like, John, that's the, the ticket. That's. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm talking to Dennis Miller. This is really, really fun. Uh, you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. And we will be right back. Did you meet Al Davis when you were doing Monday nights? Did oh, you ever I cross, cross paths, with, paths him? with him? And he was a little uh, ornery. Uh, yeah, listen, you don't. Uh, I didn't meet Rickles to have him be a love fest. You know, you want him to tear you a new one, and sure. you want Al to be indifferent to you. So, uh, <laughs> so he gave you. Yeah, what it's you not want. like I meet Al Davis, and all of a sudden he comes out and he's uh, Sandy Duncan. You know, he's Al Davis. He could care about you. He's sitting there in a Kevlar suit, like Tony Roberts and Eddie Hall. You know, putting the visor down. I don't know what the whole deal's about. Okay, that was a clip from uh, what's that guy's name again on the NFL Channel. Uh, I think it's, I, I didn't hear the Q&A, but I thought it was Eisen. Yes, it is. It is. But that was a way to talk about uh, Monday Night Football, which I want to talk about, but I still want to go back and hear the Saturday Night Live because I just yeah, thought, let me Let me wrap that up real quick. It was so interesting that you, premiere. on this dinner that you went out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did the audition, and the audition is uh, you go up and... It's in Times Square, sort of like an all that jazz studio. You're looking down on the street level and Lauren's there with everybody who works on the show, including crop master, all that, some friends. And I remember Paul Simon being there, although it was such a blur and uh, Lorraine Newman. Maybe. And uh, you walk in maybe 40 to 50 people. And he says, this is Dennis Miller. He's a comedian. Uh, Dennis, you have seven minutes. <laughs> that's, that's the setup. So I remember thinking, listen, brother, you, you know, lay, do a couple New York jokes. Nice to be here. Do a couple. I had prepped a couple remarks about SNL. I couldn't remember one. And uh, a couple basic jokes about coming in for the trip, flying in. And uh, um, I, I, I do remember thinking, listen, this isn't about these jokes. This is a live TV show. This is an uncomfortable scenario. He knows that. He wants to see if you're going to sweat like Albert Brooks and broadcast news. You're going to be yeah. cool. <laughs> so I remember thinking, go out on your shield, brother. Don't flinch with these, this cat because that's all he's looking for here. And I didn't. And I acted uh, pretty good. And uh, I, I think I started a joke at like the 645 mark and then got to, you know, was self-possessed enough to get up to the seven minute mark and go, oh, that's my seven. You don't really hear that joke anyway. Thanks for considering me. And why, you know, I remember <laughs> thinking that was a cool move. And uh, he says, uh, later on, they say, Lauren wants you to have dinner with him. So I go to a restaurant in New York. Timmy, I'm on a complete bluff mode. I'm a Pittsburgh kid I'm in L.A. But I just can't imagine what you're about to tell everybody. I'm trying to think if it was me. I don't think I could even walk in the restaurant. I go in the restaurant. We go to the table with Jack Nicholson's there. Oh, my God. He doesn't stay the whole time. He's had his meal, but he stays for coffee and dessert with us. And I remember thinking, this is Lauren's way of seeing if you're going to be an idiot if he puts you in this fast lane. I remember Ackroyd uh, said once, uh, he, there's a great excerpt in a book I read somewhere where Aykroyd and John are going to a party after SNL and their parties at that time were the biggest social event in New yes. York. And it was very hot. And they went to a midtown walk for this party. And the girl had passed out in the, uh, in the heat of New York. And they, they were both stoned out of their mind. And they, they were cops there and they didn't want to stop on the carpet. So they sort of traipsed around her and did, you know, like a little uh, pirouette, a little ballet move and kept moving up the thing. And somebody booed them for just going past the curb. <laughs> Danny said, if you can't handle a MIG, stay out of MIG Alley, which makes me laugh so hard. It's so 
Danny putting it in his cop military UFO type jargon. You can't handle a big stay out of big out. <laughs> I remember thinking that uh, that way when I was in the uh, audition. They they want to see if you can handle Big Alley. When I went there, the big was like, just don't, you don't want to gush. You don't want to, this, this will be over in a little bit. Just uh, right. smile and try to be cool. And I think that was the play. I, I don't think it was there to make you, uh, you know, make uh, McMurphy laugh. It was for you not decompose the European I think you handle it. Obviously, you handle it. I would have done something stupid like a mother sister joke or something, <laughs> some Chinatown, you know. And then you don't get the then you don't get the show. Yeah, hey, I, I, but listen, I would have. I, I, I had every one of those instincts, Tim. But I I grabbed my immature, needy self, throttled it, and threw it to the ground, and said, "Shut up, brother. Try to sit here and act like you belong." Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Um, so let's talk about sports. I have all kinds of questions. One of the things Dennis and I have found playing golf is references to old athletes. We love throwing names at, at each other. But uh, we could talk about the Monday night football. Let me ask one question about that. You can ask whatever you want. I had a blast there. But I, I would have. Well, go ahead. You ask well, I was just that. thinking, again, this is sort of like dinner with Nicholson. It's like now, but you've had so much success at this point, so I can't compare the nervousness, but you go on Monday Night Football. Were, was that like an overwhelming experience, or was that I'd just like— a, I'd never been to a football game. Uh, I'd watched it at home, but when you grew up in Pittsburgh, trust me, season— I have a vague memory that I might have been as a young boy, you know, your earliest five, seven in there. right. I seem to remember being at Pitt Stadium for a football game, but I can't remember if it's University of Pittsburgh or the Steelers. They both played at the same place, but it was very cool. And I remember, uh, so I'd been, it's a, it's a uh, untruth to say I had not been to a football game, but I hadn't been any time other than that. Not as, as an, an adult. Because the Steelers were, you know, that's the sort of place where they will season tickets down to the next generation yeah. it's like lambo trying to get in it just closed and i wasn't that big on being there live anyway because it always seemed cold and our, our field was frozen all the time so staying at home and watching on tv was uh, fun enough for me but um as i auditioned i remember i had a key i don't know we're gonna run up against i, I don't want to start this story should i hold it or not no go the, it, it's a story about uh, the audition i remember i met al and Olmeyer out in North Hollywood at this big uh, ADR stage in retrospect, I think it was, you know, where you looped. Yeah. And they ran a football game and Al and I faux announced it. And I was making Al laugh, but I hadn't had a, any sort of, I, I knew football, okay, but as much as a, uh, you know, the incredible Mr. Limpet could know, I'm not an athlete. Christ, I never got near and I was a bad athlete. But uh, I watched a lot as a fan. I didn't know what a cover two was at that point, but you could study that. But I do remember they were uh, the one team was on the forty yard line tip, and this was I think this is the moment that might have got me the gig. Um, they called a flea flicker, uh, where they fed into the let's say they feed it to Lorenzo Neal into the middle of the uh, you know the one gap. Right. And he tosses it back to the quarterback. Yes. And he throws it down the field. They were on the other team's 40. So um, Al said to me, they, they run the flea flicker and it doesn't work. And he says, what do you think of the flea flicker there, Dennis? And I remember thinking, oh, jeez. I think I got a chance here. I said, you know, Al, I, I would run the flea flicker on the other 40 or deeper because uh, once, if they bite on it, it into the line, it, they can still get back. They've only got 40 yards to cover. I, I said that your guy can't run free up loose away down the field because <laughs> the field's tighter. So I don't, I don't get the flea flicker there as much as I would if they were way back where the guy could just take off and you could throw it as long as you can and let, you know, Uncle Rico it and let him run under it. And uh, <laughs> I remember Olmeyer came up to me afterwards. He said, hey, I hadn't thought of that. That's a pretty good observation. I think I got it right there. Oh, I had good. fun doing it, but I do remember thinking I'm very whackable here. One, because I was the third guy in the booth. You only get a few seconds. And two, I, you know, I was with Dan Fouts. Al's the greatest play-by-play -play guy of his generation, maybe ever. 
And, uh, you know, I'd put him up there with Ray Scott, Kurt Gowdy, and Al. And then there's Fauci, who's the menchiest of all football players. They toss it to you. And I remember at the beginning being trapped in this thing where I thought, I don't want to zing every time because then you become like, get away from me, you know, like brushing a fly away from here. But I, they were testing you, like, what does he have to say here? And I thought, geez, I've got to say something, or they, they could go with a two-man boot. Yeah. I got trapped in that for a while, and I remember it took me a while to break through that. I did two years there, but then I remember when uh, Madden left Fox, I called Fauci that morning, and Fauci's way off the grid. He's like in Green Acres where you got to climb the pole to pick up the phone. He's up there in Oregon. And I go, hey, listen, we're getting whacked today. And he said, what do you mean? <laughs> we just signed for a third year. We had been, our contract was for a third year. And he said, uh, I said, Madden just left Fox. And he's not leaving Fox to, you know, sit in the uh, Dakota with his old lady drinking frappuccinos all day. I think we're gone. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, Fouts calls me later. He said, I just got it. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, well, my phone's ringing. So I pick it up. It's Howard Katz and they're letting you go. And I just remember thinking, well, just tell me what corner you went, want me on when you whack me, like G. Gordon Liddy, because then one innocent's getting caught in the strafe or something. And uh, I had a fun two years there, but it was a, it's an awkward fit to have three men in a booth. And the third one is not a football player. Right. You have to remember that the third man in the booth, in essence, with Gifford Cosell and uh, Dandy was Dandy. And right. yeah, Dandy threw for over 25,000 yards. He had his nose broken like so many times. He was great at it. Cosell was obviously a rare Avis, a broadcaster like no other. It's like you're booking Dave Garraway or something, you know, that, an all-time broadcaster. But uh, the, when the third guy is just a stand-up comedian, it puts him in an odd place. So, you know, you think, should I do that joke? You've got five seconds. Right. And there were times as I look back, it looked a little posed, you know, like I would think of jokes beforehand and think I should insert that there. And that's sort of deadly. But like I said, I, I got picked up after the first year, which meant a lot to me. Had the second year and was in contract for the third. But I also thought, mm, I don't know if this is going to fit. Um, well... But what an incredible, again, I go back, there's a kid from Pittsburgh who is selling jokes for 20 bucks and you end up uh, on Monday Night Football. It's pretty crazy. I mean, they, it's pretty crazy great. Well, so, Tim, when you're in that booth the first night, Paul Tagliabue's over your shoulder. He's like tapping on his shoulders. I'm not going to say shoulder rather than but because he's sort of stiff, but he hits me on the shoulder. He's like, let's have a good one, kid. And you're standing there next to Al Michaels and Dan Fouts and Ken at the Hall of Fame game, and you hear on your headphones, dun, 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 dun. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, what did I do? God, I wonder if I should tell anybody I've never been to a game. And then in the first period, I remember Kevin That would have been a good opener. Hey, I've never seen a football game before. This well, is I, great. I've seen them all. I just had not had it. But I remember Kevin Falk for the New England Patriots house says, uh, Falk had minor groin surgery in the offseason. And I, I said, hey, you know, Al, anytime they're near your genitals with a scalpel, it's not minor. And the next day, <laughs> the next day, people were pissed. And I thought, see, that's a pretty good score. It's for a me. great joke. Yeah, I don't quite know if this is going to work. Uh, uh, we got to take our third break. And we're, we're oh, my God, I have so much uh, to talk to you about. That we're not going to get to, but that's cool because this, this has been really fun. Been talking to Dennis Miller. Uh, I'm going to plug uh, Sprung one more time on Amazon Freebie if you haven't seen it. It's a really fun show. Great and show, folks. And uh, this is one of the funniest men I know. And uh, also uh, the one of the most decent. So I uh, give Sprung a tumble because I love it. Back at you. And uh, so we're going to take a break. I'm talking to Dennis Miller, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, it's Tim Stack. And having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. What have I done?
Hey, Cliff, uh, I don't know if we got that one right. That was probably my fault. That was a clip from the Bridge Over the River Kwai, uh, which, uh, anyway, we'll talk about that. Dennis and I talk a lot about movies. We're both like. Well, you know, I've been traveling since I retired, Tim, and I was in Sri Lanka. I'll tell you real quick. Yeah. And Carolyn was, uh, you know, reading local, uh, reading about the local culture and visiting gardens. And I, I wanted to see the, where they shot the bridge on the River Kwai. And I got there and it's uh, owned by, uh, there's a corner in the river that's owned by an American guy who puts floaties out. And I said, wasn't this where America, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai was shot? He said, yeah, it's up there. There's a desalinization plant or something and uh, the local guide took me up and we walked around 30 minutes into the jungle and there's one last strut next to the river from the bridge on the river Kwai, david lean's version i have a picture of me standing next to it it meant a lot to me because you know how much i love movies so to finally trek to that place uh, that's really cool did the english prisoners build the desalinization plant is that too uh (laughs) they brought them in you will build a desalinization plant (laughs) it was some sort of plant i threw desalinization but i doubt during a or next to a freshwater but something like that they made concrete or coke or i mean the coke for something like that but it had a really acrid uh odor about it and uh, it was just funny to uh, uh i don't know i went to wadi rum last year where they shot the uh, lawrence of arabia so things like that some people want to visit gravestones and stuff i like to visit movie sets now i have to get to and we've talked about this movie it's my favorite movie local hero and i have to get to the town because they've left the phone booth up from the town in Scotland where they shot Local Hero. And oh, I have to get a picture exciting. of me at the phone booth before I leave this planet, and I'm hoping to do it. So. Well, watch out Watch out for the guy on the dirt bike. The, <laughs> yes. The Honda 150. <laughs> Who is, uh, that guy on the bike is the guy, the kid from Gregory's Girl. No, yes. you're kidding yes. me, Tim. That's I who, never knew that. That's who drives by on the bicycle. Then he shows up later at the big dance in the film oh we could don't you think uh foresight bill foresight was a precursor to richard curtis uh, that same sort of whimsical british owls type uh you know like uh nodding hill and all that stuff. yes I, absolutely I, I, I thought it was and then there's the the good one about edinburgh the ice cream wars yes oh, i forget some, that actor's name but yes that that's also a, a good film yeah he was a i thought he was a fascinating he was sort of like the british owls preston sturgis to some degree yes Peter Ringer yes absolutely killed 100 percent. or um george stevens when he did the comedy uh the more the merrier which is also one of my favorites um, well, that close-up stuff. Who did who did that ECU stuff better than Stevens? Monty Clift and Elizabeth Taylor out on the porch. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, why am I blanking uh, on place the name? In the, you know, uh, place in the sun. The place in the sun, and then the horny close-up of uh, it, it's so funny to watch Gene Arthur oh. be in sort of a torrid scene with yeah. The, uh, you know that extreme close-up thing out on the stoop of the apartment great yeah, he's a great filmmaker you've seen that film the, the docu right about by his, his kid his son, it's one of my favorite movies i, I watch Me it too. every couple of years it's just fantastic and they do they talk about that kiss with gene arthur a lot in it because it's so sexy and it's just like you know it's just a kiss but i think it is it's <laughs> part of you know it's it's rare for her to be that aroused i guess and yeah and, and i always McCray's wonder so if funny joe, joe mccray said here's my career uh they send it to coop if he passes on it i do it <laughs> <laughs> uh but i always wonder if if he i i think i read somewhere that he talked her out of retirement to come back and do shane because she really wasn't a big part i mean she was a big part of the movie shane but you know, it was really the kid and Alan Ladd, and she was sort of the mom. And yeah, she wasn't easy, Jean Arthur. I've read enough about her. It was really, always, you know, somebody who's always on the verge of quitting. Yeah, you know that person. Sometimes you just got to concede for all your problems with show business. You caught a cosmic wave, ride it to the shore, kind of stay out of it. But you can't really always be uh, on. Oh, this is not my thing. You know, and I think that wore people down or something. Yeah. Kind of like Garrison Keeler. He was always quitting. 
and then uh then coming well, you back. Know, letterman was making 30 million a year there and he was always uh quitting oh the suits have me down yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> um so let's talk about let's go back to sports for a second we got a couple of minutes left we'll go back to sports a little bit like so when you were a kid who were your favorite athletes no bobby clemente obviously uh-huh. uh, the, the god yeah i can see that absolutely um, especially connie I'm, hawkins i had tickets to the pittsburgh pipers in the aba and the hawk had been kept out of the nba at that point i think he re-enters eventually with the phoenix suns but it's apre 30 hawk but when he was a young guy right it was the closest thing he saw to julius you know yeah like the windmill dunks and uh, they didn't have three-point shot. Oh, maybe no. they did in the ABA. That's right. Uh, in the ABA, they did because... Actually, you're was, right. They, I think they introduced it. And then college brought it on and the pros brought it on. Yeah, but Hawk would camp out on the baseline. And we had Charlie Williams, Chico Vaughn, Tommy Washington. And uh, I think it was a cat named Billy Helicopter Heads. But the glue guy was Artie Heyman, who used to play at Duke. And he comes in and... Uh, He's a beautiful, like uh, Bradley works off the ball. They congeal, right. they win the title. So the Hawk was big to me. Bobby Clemente was big to me. And Billy Maz might as well have had one of those high life fronton things down at second base to turn the DP. I think he and Gene Alley one year had 215 double plays because Maz, Alley to Maz, and it would just he would just accelerate the ball. You know, he never gloved it. It was just like, you know, the thing they whip the ball with. In yeah. <laughs> he would throw it. Don Clendenin had the biggest stretch in the history of sports. And we knocked off a lot of double plays. Were you a Franco Harris fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Franco was, uh, you know, well, anybody in the Steelers. But Joe Green was my guy. I remember, you know, the Steelers always had a rough history. But Joe Green comes in. And I remember one of his first games, instead of going nose up on the center, he goes at a 45-degree angle and ear holes the guy. And then you could almost hear a collective thing in Pittsburgh. Well, our desultory past has just changed. (laughs) (laughs) He was a bad man, Joe Green. Uh, One of my claims to fame is Franco Harris once came to my house. Uh, He he worked. I worked in a restaurant with him. Was he with Goldie and Tim? (laughs) now uh, he uh we worked at a restaurant because he was a hotel restaurant major this is when he was at penn state but he was still a big deal and the guy who got him to go to penn state was the owner of the restaurant this guy walter Conti, who could speak italian and so when they recruited him walter Conti went to new jersey to speak to the mother who only spoke italian and that's how franco uh-huh. harris ended up at penn state and one night he came I to my house and we, we played and basketball they, he was with, was, wasn't he with lydell mitchell then? yes and he was, Lydell Mitchell was the man, and Franco was like the blocker. And in the NFL, it's sort of, uh, they, they switched. So, um, God darn. I said, God darn. <laughs> I should say, gosh darn. Uh, we're done here. Um, Dennis, thank you so well, much for doing this. This went by. I have pages more. Okay, that's, that would be great. Thank you. I'd love to do that. Uh, I'll see you this week on the golf course. And thank you, uh, Jeremiah. Thank you, Dr. D, again. And uh, we'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly.